The following podcast contains explicit language. From New York City, this is Lexicon Valley, a podcast about language. I'm John McWhorter, and right now I'm on the steps of what I now know I should call Ukraine, not the Ukraine. And today's lesson will be about the word yes, about sex, and about rhythm. You know, just... Hear me out. In any case, here is our opening music, and this is from the musical Kismet. This is some of the opening scene-setting music, some of the loveliest, cheap song I've ever heard, beautifully orchestrated. I think Kismet is too saccharine for most people today, but there is some really excellent music making in it. So this is our music for the steps of the Ukraine, just because this is how I imagine it. So listen to it back there. It's probably 6,000 years ago, and the people are speaking a language that they'd soon wheel into Western Europe, not to mention Iran and India. And this would seed the languages that we think of as normal, including the one that I'm speaking. They are speaking what linguists hypothesize with the name Proto-Indo-European, although we can be quite sure that the speakers called it something else. But just as we can look at all of today's mammals and know from fossils as well as just common sense that they started as these disgusting little shrew-like things that were skittering out of the way the dinosaurs. We know that almost all the languages of Europe started as a magnificent thing where the words for this or that often started with something like E or A. That was kind of a finger pointing. It meant like this or that. And that little bit of crud that signified part of this or that as it was taken into what are today Germanic-speaking lands. Specifically, this probably happened in what's now Denmark. You're saying e? Well, as that moves along, you might start saying yeah, yeah, yeah. And we know that when Proto-Indo-European became the granddaddy language of the Germanic languages, then it had become ja. And ya meant yes. So no longer is it this or that. It's yes. Now you think to yourself, well, why would something that means that end up meaning yes? And it actually makes sense because really, if you're approving of something, if you're saying yes to something, then in a way, what you're doing is you're approving that. In a way, you're kind of saying, yeah, that. Kind of like today, some people say word as a kind of agreement, or if you're snapping or you're clapping. For example, here is um, a president, a real president. Whoops, I didn't say that. Sorry, no politics in the valley, but Mike, please do keep that. And here he is making, actually, the speech that I first heard him doing. I was driving down a highway in Chantilly, Virginia, and I just heard this person. I thought, huh, he's pretty good. And it was Barack Obama. Just listen to what people do when they approve of what he's saying. Basically, what they're saying is that which he said. Here it is. The hope of a young naval lieutenant bravely patrolling the Mekong Delta. The hope of a mill worker's son who dares to defy the odds. The hope of a skinny kid with a funny name who believes that America has a place for him, too. So, next thing you know, people are saying that, except really it has a different meaning. It means what we think of as yes. 
I have wanted to use this song for some reason on this show for a year and a half, and it never quite makes it. It's never quite pertinent, but this time we're doing it. It's do do leaps me on Herzen. You are in. You're on my heart, and it's got the German word for yes in it. And we're going to hear it said over and over again. This is Marlena Dietrich, and she is singing what I think many people think of as the signature version of it. And just listen to what this word that began, meaning roughly this or that, now means in Orwell in the 1930s meant, but still does mean in German. So, so, so as I love you. So, so, come on in. Love me too. Those, um, I don't know, delicate yearnings. I only feel them for you. Yes. Yes. It means yes. Yes. I only feel that for you, honey. Yep. Yep. But can I trust you with your flighty self? You, you, you know, you can depend on me, sweetie. Do you know how good I'd be for you? Yes, 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 yes. So, you get it. Ja is Germanic for yes. And one brand of Germanic is Old English, which took root in, well, I'll let you guess what country. And there it became something more like yeah. And now we're getting close to what we need. And we'll get into why we're talking about this in a second. But you had yeah. So we're very close to yes. How did you get yes? What's this? So we talked about how a p might come at the end of something just because you're trying to sound kind of final or crisp. But people don't just start hissing at the ends of words for no reason. And so if you go from yeah to yes, then there has to be some kind of reason. And it's interesting where that comes from. Yes actually starts as two words. And so you have yeah, and then this is see. And what see meant in Old English was roughly so be it. It was the subjunctive to be. If you've done French, you remember soi. If you've done Spanish, then you remember sea. If you've done German, do, do, then you remember sei. Okay, well, English used to be a normal Germanic language, and so we had see. And so people didn't only say yeah, but they'd say yeah, see. And so it would be roughly yes, so be it. Two kinds of affirmation. And next thing you know, say yeah, see enough, and you've got yes. Yes, you've got Miss Prissy in Looney Tunes saying, Oh, if it isn't Prissy, Jules. Oh, Prissy, you don't know how lucky you are never to have had children. They're such a trial. <laughs> that always burns her up. <laughs> she's a, a chicken. She's a hen. And so she's hanging out with other hens. Listen to all those other voices. All of those, including Prissy, were B. Benadaret. She was amazing. Or, just for the hell of it, Frank Nelson. Hey, pilot. Yeah. <laughs> so, the word yes, that's where it comes from. And in the meantime, yeah 
did remain alongside. I think we tend to think that the real word is yes, and then yeah is somebody saying yes with their mouthful. But actually, yeah is a remnant. That's what it originally was. And so, of course, Looney Tunes characters can say yeah too. This is 1956. Slap Hoppy Mouth, Sylvester, and his little son who has the exact same head but a different voice and a tiny body. You are now going to see your old broken down father uninfest one old broken down mouth infested house. Hey, man, you're not broken down. You're a real cool cat. Um, yeah. Come on, son. Here's the thing. There's always a thing. Is this episode going to be just me running my mouth about yes, because there was another episode about no, and I thought that there should be some sort of complimentary. No, nothing like that. If yes weren't interesting for various reasons, then we just leave little yes alone. I'm not going to be doing a show about the history of the word at or something like that. No, it's that yes has got some stuff in it. And it's really a third thing that I'm really interested in. But there are two other things that I want to mention before about yes and little things that it teaches us in all of its seeming innocence. So first thing, why, if people had something perfectly satisfactory, like, yeah, that they have to start saying, yeah, see, why do they have to start saying, yes, so be it, or yes, by God, in that way, why? Why couldn't they be satisfied with the way it was? And that's because it's part of how language changes, and therefore part of what words and expressions end up being like, that there is this constant desire to reinforce or to refresh. The joke gets old, essentially. I remember how in the 80s, if you said that somebody was the base from hell or the house cleaner from hell, that was genuinely diaphragm strainingly funny. Now you just kind of say it and we have other jokes. The joke gets old. The extreme expression gets old. Don't make me come in there, you say. And the first time you say that to your kids, then all of a sudden they become perfect little human beings. You say that for about the seventh time and they just kind of keep doing what they're doing and you have to come up with something else. That's how language always works and it's all languages. And so, for example, grand old irregardless. People will tell you, well, no, regardless is what it should be. Ear is redundant, definitely. But there's just this natural human tendency to want to make it more vivid as the words start seeming worn out. I've mentioned rise up and sink down. The Titanic sank. We know that the sinking was downward. It didn't rise up. But then people talk about sinking down all the time and rising up or something that you would never think about over again. Why do you have to say again? Isn't that what over means? And yet you can say over and over again in a Rogers and Hart musical of 1935 called Jumbo. And it was called that because it had elephants in it. But no original recordings from that. Thank God. And so this is my idol Bobby Short, cabaret singer again, doing over and over again. Think about how as nice as the song is in its way, there are people who have trouble with Bobby Short's singing style these days, and I understand, but I'm not one of them, and it's my job to impose. I mean, to instruct. So, you have him singing, and you know, some of you may find it a nice song, but it's extremely redundant. Not only is it about repetition, but over and over again is an extremely redundant way of putting anything, and yet we accept it. Over and over and over Again, a star does not 
Fall out of the sky He starts his day at ten To reach the top You've got to keep trying Over and over again Hence, this'll give you a different perspective on things that can sound superficially annoying. For example, I know, right? I know, right? Now, I've never checked and I'm flying blind, but I started hearing that about 15 years ago myself. I'm not sure it was being said in 1975. I think it's new. And even if it isn't, a person might say, why don't people just say, I know, which I seem to remember people just saying, oh, yeah, I know. I know. Remember the (laughs) Faulty Towers episode where Prunella Scales is in bed? Oh, I know. I know. Oh, I know. (laughs) I know. Why is she telling you then? (laughs) I understand you. I really do. I can't stand it anymore. Nowadays, that person would be saying, I know, right? I know, right? And the John Cleese would be saying, you know, why can't you just say I know? It's redundant. It's because I know got kind of worn out. Or here's one. People are always asking linguists whether they have any pet peeves since we think that everything is just okay and we're letting our bellies hang out. Of course, we have our pet peeves for random reasons. I often say that mine is people saying, can I get a Coke? I don't like it. It sounds pushy to me. May I have a Coke? Can I have a Coke? I'd like a Coke. A Coke, please not. Can I get it? I just don't like it. It's random. Just like, you know, Hockendall is doing a, a pineapple coconut ice cream. It's like death on a plate. I just don't like it. And, you know, I can't say that there's something morally wrong with it. I think they're going for what they would have called ambrosia in the 60s. Hated that, too. One of those things. Here is a peeve that I have never thought about until now, putting together this show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't like it. I know that that is normal. You know, a jolly kind of agreement amidst conversation is not to just say, yeah, not just to say, oh, I know. But you have to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Those three yeahs. I first heard it in the summer of 1999, and I thought, oh, dear, that's a thing now, isn't it? And I know it isn't meant as intrusive, but it always sounds vaguely to me like, you stop talking. It's just one of those little things. If I became romantically involved with somebody these days, I'd have to say, you know, that one thing is kind of like you wearing a perfume that smells like pineapple coconut. Just Please, just for my sake. Nevertheless, I know that yeah, yeah, yeah is fine because it's just reinforcement. Yeah got old. So did yeah, yeah. So now it's yeah, yeah, yeah. That is how language works. So lesson one from yes is just that this reinforcement is ordinary such that a word like yes consists of really two things that were a little ominously alike. You got the s because people started feeling that the yeah wasn't quite enough. Here is the second thing which is, it's related to the first thing, which is just the amazing extent to which today's words are often composed of bits of the old ones. All this bric-a-brac all smashed together, kind of like one of those rocks you find that has shells and, you know, turds and things in it. That is what a word is like. For example, imagine you're speaking Latin, as we often do, on a whim, and you're saying, my lady, mea domina. That's one way that they said it. Mea domina. Well, if you say that over and over again and you become French, that's where you get madame. So, mea domina, madomina, madame, madame, madame. So, that's how that happened. 
Well, if you say madame enough and you have a little backshift, in fact, then you get madam. So now that sounds more familiar. Say madam enough and you get ma'am. Why is he doing this? This is why. Imagine, yes, ma'am. And then some people in America said, I don't know if anybody says this now, but said, yes'em. Just yes'em. Imagine where that yes'em came from historically. A person who was saying yes'em wasn't really thinking about the history of the word. They weren't thinking about Latin. They weren't thinking about the fact that the s on yes is technically an excrescence. They were using language spontaneously as people do. And yet, for example, Gone with the Wind, if you listen to um, Hattie McDaniel's Mammy character, then you notice that she often says yes'em. Now, of course, there are two ways of listening to this scene. But first, listen to this. This is the classic scene between her and Vivian Lee as Scarlett O'Hara. There's sunshine and they're arguing. Ooh. Just hold on and suck in. Mammy, here's for Scarlett's vickles. You can take it all back to the kitchen. I won't need to buy it. Oh, yes'em, you is. You was going to eat every mouthful of this. I'm not. So the Hattie McDaniel character clearly has raised Scarlet, and so there's a certain kind of authority, but has to refer to her with the mm. That's how the hierarchy goes. Sociologically, yeah, I mean, it's, it's prickly. Linguistically, though, if we're just going to detach, the yesum is interesting because that's seven original syllables that went down to two. Just imagine it's the yeah. See, then may a domina. Yes, he may a domina goes down to yes. That is how language works. And so I hate to admit that when I hear yes or see it in print, I'm always thinking that was originally something much, much longer. And it's not just English. This is just how language works. And so, for example, you're watching Uncle Vanya in Russian. You've got Talagan, and he, it's been a while for me, but he lives on the estate in some rather subservient capacity. And there's this weird thing if you're a student of Russian and nobody is telling you what to look out for that is actually interesting in itself. So somebody might say, well, he says, he would kind of talk like this if it was, you know, American and a comedy in about 1935. So I beg your pardon. He says, that's what he should be saying. Vinovat. But instead, it's Vinovats, 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 and there's this S. The first time I saw that on the page, I thought either they're indicating that he's spitting or it's a misprint. But Telegan does that a lot. And so he says, It's I live with you now. These days I'm living with you. I live. But it's What's the S? What's wrong with him? You know what that is? The word for sir in Russian can be sudar, sudar. And so what it is, is that that person is putting sir at the end of everything. But somebody like him has been doing that for so long that by the time of the language of Uncle Vanya, it was just this at the end of things, which you could use even with people who were the wrong gender to be called sir. It had just become this marker of subservience. And so jivus is like jivu sudagi, but shortened in the same way that you get the yasi into yes and the yasi meha domina into yesum. This is just a universal process. So now we've gotten through the first and the second things, but now what we want is the third thing. This is the part about rhythm. 
Often as language changes, we have a sense of how we want the beats of the language to go. There are times when we want something to be one heavy syllable, even if we've got more to work with than should fit into that syllable. We've got that sort of thing going on in our brains as much as we have meaning going on in our brains. And so a little bit more from yes. Yes, sir. What's that? Yes, sir. Well, it's yes, sir. Okay. But really, originally, the sir is from senior. It's this whole big thing. But you don't say, yes, senior. After a while, you've got it right back down to the rhythm of yes. Yes, sir. So it's like, yes, with a little tail. Yes, with a pimple. Yes, with a cyst. And so it's just, yes, sir. That's what happened to senior. And so it's kind of like that, so be it, older person becomes yes, sir. Or if something does get tagged on, there's still this conservative impulse not to let it go further. So you've got yes, sir. And then people think, well, that's not quite enough. Let's add some color. Let's squirt on some some sriracha or something. And so that's where you get yes, sir. Now, figuring out exactly where that E came from is tough. There are theories about it having to do with Syrah, et cetera. They don't work for me. I highly suspect that Syri is just, it's colorful. It's just something that caught on. Wherever it's from, yes, sir, clearly interferes with the rhythm. So it's not yes, sir. It's yes, sir. So, but notice that once that gets tired out, then you've got this yes, sir, Bob thing. And Bob, actually, it was a euphemism for God. In um, the south of England, there were people who would say, sweat me, Bob. And I don't know what accent that was, but that was so help me, Bob. And of course, it wasn't Robert. What that meant was God, like, so help me, God. Over here, you get, yes, sir. And then people start saying, yes, sir, Bob. Notice, though, that it preserves the rhythm. Yes, sir. And then, yes, sir, Bob. The idea is to keep it where it was. You have these rhythms in your head, and sometimes you'll stretch something to make the rhythm work out. So, for example, here is a rhythm of English. So it could be something like, meatballs are better on Sunday. It's a rhythm of English, not of all languages, but da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Imagine if you've got that in your head. I mean, you wouldn't think about it, but da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And then you're saying something where you can't fill out that whole rhythm. You might push it further. You might do it in jest. There's a beautiful example of this in a Bugs Bunny cartoon called A Hair Grows in Manhattan. And it's supposed to be back in the gay 90s or the gaslight era. Bugs Bunny is tap dancing. It's actually clog dancing down the street singing Rosie O'Grady and some street toughs, some Bowery thugs, these dogs start trying to bother him and they start making fun of him. Listen to how giraffes are discussed. Here it is. Oh, for crying out loud, get a load at this. She's the daughter of Rosie O'Grady, a regular old-fashioned girl. Look, I'm dancing. She isn't crazy for diamond rings, silkens and satins and fancy things. What's up, dogs? What is it? Hey, maybe it's the giraffe, the giraffe. No, it ain't no giraffe. The giraffe's got a long neck like this. <laughs> Did you catch that? Maybe it's a giraffe, a giraffe. Listen. Hey, maybe it's a giraffe, the giraffe. Why did he say that? That's not the way anybody would say it. It's filling out that whole pattern. Maybe it's a giraffe, it's a giraffe. Because he's thinking that the way you speak English is say, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And so, I mean, did they make that up? Like, I wonder how the writing session went. But that's the sort of thing I mean. And this filling it out 
or this retaining the same length actually ties into our little move a thing. And so, for example, it's not move a. It's not that at all. And some of you actually in the avalanche of mails I've gotten about this have picked up on this. And it's absolutely true. It's that at first you have move and then you keep that melody, but you cram up the move into the first segment and you put that uh in the second. So move, move a. You're keeping that length the same. You've got a certain sense of the rhythm and how it's supposed to go. Now, folks, this is one of those times when I need us to protect tender ears. If you've got any kids listening to this, then we might want for them this to be their bedtime. This is the end of the show for them. So let's play our kitty sign-off music. Here's my Fuba Wuba John. Yep, hear that? So, okay, kitties. Nice having you. You can reach us at Lexicon Valley at Slate.com. That's Lexicon Valley at Slate.com. To listen to past shows or just, yep, yep. yep. So, night kids. Have a nice evening. Ask your parents for peach jello. Okay, are they, they gone? All right. I want to talk about fucking insertion. This is part of speaking English. Phila fucking Delphia. Something one might say. I, of course, wouldn't, but you might say it. Sense of fucking natty. Right? That's how you would say it. Pittsfuckingburg. No. See how that doesn't work? Where were you? Pittsfuckingburg. Now, I know Pittsburgh is not what it used to be. I have spent, well, actually one very pleasant weekend in Pittsburgh once. However, Pittsburgh is lovely, but still. Pittsfuckingburg. Mm-hmm. Cleve fuckingland. Panina, you're probably listening to this. I'm not putting down your city. Cleve fuckingland. No, no, no. Fucking Cleveland is what you would say. Or if we're about Pittsburgh, fucking Pittsburgh, not Pittsfuckingburg. Or another lovely city I've been to, bought a pair of shoes, something I don't usually do. I went to wonderful Port Fuckingland. No, no. You'd have to say fucking Portland. So, fill a fucking Delphia, sense a fucking natty, Port Fuckingland. <laughs> no, it just doesn't work. Boss Fuckington. <laughs> no, it's fucking Boston. My fucking Amy. Now, only if you have an Amy, like it's your Amy and their Amy, but no, fucking Miami, if you had a bad time there, which I did more than once. Or, you know, oh, let's go and have some really good coffee and see fucking Adult. No, you barely know what's being referred to. It has to be fucking Seattle. Now, the reason I'm doing this is only partly because it's fun to say. It really, fucking insertion really is a well-covered linguistic topic. And it really is all about the rhythm. And what I mean by that is that you have to put the fucking between. <laughs> this is worse than I expected it to be. You have to put the fucking between two heavy <laughs> syllables, so to speak. So, fill a Delphia. Therefore, you have this rhythm going. It's so if you want to keep it going and you want to disrupt it as little as possible, then fill a fucking Delphia between two heavies. Since a fucking natty. But Pittsburgh only has one heavy. Pittsburgh. And that means you're not putting it between. So Pitts fucking Berg doesn't work. And so fucking has to go before and be just a preliminary heavy syllable to keep the drum beat going. In the same way, Miami, there's only one heavy. And so you can't have my fucking Amy because then fucking doesn't have the heavy syllable before it. So you don't want to interfere with that rhythm. The language keeps coming. 
there was very interesting black created Broadway show that ran for three years in New York, not to mention other places in the 70s. It was called Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope. On this topic, I think of the song in it called They Keep Coming because of the rhythm. Listen to this. And sit on the Supreme Court. And invent shoe-lasting machines. And write books and play. And sing Verdi and Puccini. And become heavyweight champion of the world. They They keep coming. They keep coming. You can stop a rose from growing if you nip it in the bud. You can stop a brook from flowing, but you cannot stop a flood. They keep coming. They keep coming. From the Mississippi Delta to the Louisiana Bayou, from the grandsons of the grandsons of the kings of Timbuktu. They keep coming. They keep coming. You can stop a train from running. You can turn a stream aside. You can stop an army coming. But no man can stop the tide. They keep coming. It's all about the beat. (laughs) That was the title of my very worst and least selling book. It's the one that I never take out and look at. Don't you look at it either. Anyway, for example, irregardless, let's put fucking into irregardless. So you imagine, well, maybe you take the, the, the prefix and then you take the the word, the root, and so it's going to be ear-fucking-regardless. Eh, no, that's not native English. Think about it. It's era-fucking-gardless. Why? Because you have that beat, era, and the ruh is part of that beat, era-fucking-gardless. Think about unbelievable. It's the same thing. Now, you can make it the prefix and then the root. You could have it be unfucking-believable, but notice that unbefucking-leavable for many of you, will sound better. If anything, it's a little wittier to my ear and certainly possible because the book could be seen as part of that un. Umba, leavable. Umba, fucking leavable. It's a better beat. If you were going to dance to this, you'd probably rather dance to umba, fucking leavable than unfucking believable. Notice how there you just want to sit down with your third gin and tonic and, you know, not dance for a while especially if you don't think the marriage is going to last, that sort of thing. And so, and it's not just fucking. There are all sorts of insertions of this kind. For many of you, you might be thinking of um, My Fair Lady. Isn't that what all of us are you know, thinking of at times like this? And so wouldn't it be lovely? My Fair Lady's original cast album, which I've actually never particularly liked, but the purists are going to say that I should play it from that. And so this is Wouldn't It Be Loverly and listen to how blooming is used. How so lovely sit next to blooming lootly still. I would never budge till spring. Apps are blooming lootly still. Not apps blooming, so you see, it doesn't app. Ab blooming salutely, that wouldn't have scanned in the song, and I presume nobody in the context would say it that way. Absolutely. And so you've got to keep the beat going. Remember I said that it was going to be about yes, sex, and rhythm. Well, we've gotten all of that in, and yes, of course, was just the beginning. Now, we've reached the letters section, and I want to say that, you know, especially over the past few weeks, the amount of mail that we get here in the Valley has been quite gratifying. But as I've said before, it has gotten to the point and it, I'm gratified that it seems like it's going to stay that way. I can't answer everybody anymore. I used to answer every message, but I just can't do it. So please know that we do read all of it and know also that there is no we. It's just me. 
And I really do read every one of them, but it's at the point where if I answered everybody, then I could neither put together new episodes, nor raise children, nor read books, nor sleep. And so I am very happy to be Mr. Linguist in terms of answering questions that a lot of you have, because quite honestly, the questions keep my mind sharp. They give me ideas not only about shows, but about my own research. It really helps me get a sense of how to interact with the public as a linguist to know the sorts of things that actually interest you. Very interesting for me to get the questions. However, I need to ask, given current circumstances, that if you'd like to ask me a question, I will do my best, but I need you to only ask me one. Some of you have an admirable enthusiasm. I can imagine on the other end of it being the same way. You'll send me seven and eight questions or even, you know, like three or four. I just, I can't do that anymore. And so please, one question at a time and I will do my very best. But in any case, it's all about the beat, which means that, of course, we have to go out on the final song from the one Broadway musical that I actually went and saw eight times. This is Hairspray. It's, you know, it was about nothing in its way, but for some reason, it just lifted me out of my seat. It got to the point where they had George Went in it. I mean, it just got worse every year. And I kept going. And this is You Can't Stop the Beat, which is one of the most delightful nothing songs ever written. This is really the end, by the way. You can reach us at Lexicon Valley at Slate.com. That's Lexicon Valley at Slate.com. To listen to past shows and subscribe or just to reach out or say to ask one <coughs> question, go to Slate.com slash Lexicon Valley. The show's editor was, of course, Mike Wolo. And I am John McWhorter.